Today's podcast guest is Miriam Chancellor. She is the founder of a public speaking and presentation consultancy called Naked Audience. She's coached everyone from top level execs preparing their keynote speeches through to pitch teams looking to win more business. Miriam shares with us her top insights, which include pro tips when using video conferencing tools like Zoom and Microsoft Teams, the best ways to boost your confidence before a presentation or speech, and how pace and pause are critical to captivating your audience. Please welcome Miriam Chancellor. Miriam, welcome along to the podcast. Fantastic to have you on the show today. It's great to be here, Ryan. Alrighty, let's hit you hard and fast. Let's go some fast fact questions. Breakfast or dinner kind of girl? It's got to be dinner. I love cooking. Yep, it's a bit of a creative outlet for me. I am the chief chef of this household, uh, so it's got to be dinner. Right, and have you planned tonight's menu yet? Yes, in fact, I've found this recipe that I'm doing a lot uh, lately purely because it's delicious and easy, which is a sage butter-infused fettuccine with roasted pumpkin, pine nuts, and prosciutto. Okay, any uh, spare spots at the dinner table? Yeah, come on over. I'm sure we can find something. Alrighty. On holiday, are we likely to find you bungee jumping or on the pool lounger? You know what? Probably doing something adventurous in the morning. uh, And you'll find me on the pool lounger with a book in the afternoon. Uh, I'm not sure I'd go as far as saying I would bungee jump, but you'd certainly find me hiking up a mountain. Uh, and then for sure relaxing on the pool lounger in the afternoon. I like I like the combo. Okay. And we're going to talk a bit more about uh, how we get set up for video conferencing and what we uh, dress like, et cetera. So quick question for you, trainer or heels? It depends. I think the higher the stakes of the meeting, the more you're going to be wanting to take care in that area. And of course, my general philosophy is wear what you would typically wear if that same meeting were to be held in person. Great, and we will dig into that a bit more. And cats or dogs? Oh, that's tough. Uh, I'm a sucker for both. Well, yeah. (laughs) So if it was a dog, I had would have to choose a pug, which is basically like a cat anyway. It is. So look, I'm probably going to say a nice cuddly cat. Yeah, we're definitely running with cats. If you think a pug's actually a dog. (laughs) Uh, Okay, what's your routine? Are you an early riser or a night owl? I'm usually up. Not super early, actually. I'm. I need my sleep, so I try and get at least eight hours an evening and a night. So you'll probably find me up at seven thirty and asleep by by ten thirty. Nice. Okay, in the middle. And entertainment-wise, are we likely to find you watching a thriller or a comedy? You know what? That's so funny you should say that because my this used to be a joke uh, when I was first married because my husband loves movies. He's a real movie buff. And he would say, you know, what do you feel like watching? And I'd always say, oh, you know, let's let's do something light. But actually, to be fair, I, having lived with him now for for three and a half years, I've I'm 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 a converted, uh, you know, enthusiast now because, in fact, the movies that I've enjoyed the most are probably science fiction. So, if I had to choose between comedy and thriller, it would probably be on the thriller side of things. Nice. I like it. Alrighty, let's dive into some uh, tips that you might be able to help us with, Miriam. Your uh, Business Naked Audience is all about uh, public speaking and presentation coaching. So hit us with your uh, top three, top of mind for you at the moment. What would be three tips you could uh, give us around those areas? Yeah, sure. So the first one would be related to 
video conference or VC communication, which we've all obviously been doing a lot of uh, lately. And that would be around get your physical video conference set up right. Because once it's set up, you can benefit from it uh, going forward and your presence and professionalism online will improve. The second point would be around confidence. And I think that the best confidence booster for public speaking is preparation and more specifically uh, preparation through rehearsing. Yes. The last point uh, would be that I think the surest way of creating impact when you're speaking or presenting in front of a, a group would be to use a variety of pace and pause. So those would be my three my three Okay. Tips. Awesome. I'm looking forward to uh, digging into these and finding out a bit more about them. Uh, but let's understand a little bit about your maybe public speaking and presentation journey. Were you one of these fortunate people that public speaking always just came supernaturally to you and you jump up on a stage and you were good to go? Or have you been on a bit of a, a learning and development journey yourself? Oh, look, I think we're all on a learning, learning and development journey. But to be fair, I did start at a very young age. Um, my mother put me through speech and drama and I remember giving my first performance at the age of six where I got up in front of a crowd and delivered my first poem which was my mother said I never should play with the gypsies in the wood uh, and I don't mean to boast but I did win that uh, competition. <laughs> so it started for a very young age and you know that's what I say to people generally is that it's all exposure no one's born well I think no one's born with that uh, innate capability, it comes through practice and getting used to speaking in front of a group. Like most skills, they are skills that can be learned, right? And yes, some people might be slightly more uh, adapted and slightly more natural in it, but there are still skills that need to be learned. And I think with uh, like many skills that we see, if you uh, are too too confident with how good you are, you probably fail to learn about how much you could could improve. So uh, I think being on that that learning journey is always a pretty important one. Absolutely. Okay, take us through uh, some of these tips around how we get our video conferencing technology and environment set up well. Uh, as we well know, with the, what's been going on in the world this year, so many of us have now been into, into that. And there has been a, a huge variety I've observed with people that have environments set up very well, um, people that don't. And then if they don't have their tech set up well, they're arriving in meetings and they're all flustered and they're not really on point with what's, what's going on. So just run us through a few details about the things you would think about in your uh, tech setup and, and environment setup. Sure. So, yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of things to consider. And this all came about through this workshop that I developed at the beginning of lockdown, which was to train people to effectively communicate over these platforms. And the first section of this workshop is on the kind of 101 physical setup. And interestingly enough, very few people get everything right. So a couple of things there, I mean, some common mistakes would be around lighting, you know, don't have any backlight because you're going to end up in silhouette. Harsh overhead lights can make your features appear distorted because they'll cast harsh shadows. Uh, ideally, you are positioned in front of a window, so you've got natural light illuminating you. So lighting would be, be a common mistake. 
if yeah. you have natural lighting and then obviously light changes with cloud cover and those kind of things, do you find that if, if you're really using uh, predominantly natural light that it can really change up the, the environment because of the changes in the natural light? It can change, yes. And look, at the end of the day, you can only work with what you've got. Uh, ideally, you've got some kind of levers that you can turn to adjust that lighting. Like for me, for instance, you can see that for those that are listening to this on YouTube, we've, I've got this blind next to me, which I've pulled down. Yes. The blind in front of me is pulled up, but when the mm -hmm. light gets too bright or too harsh, I pull that partly down. Right. I've also got a supplementary light, uh, lamp mm -hmm. on my, my desk, which I sometimes turn on, particularly as the light is fading. But what I do, just a little pro tip here, is not point the lamp so it's directly facing me, which again can cause that harsh light but face it so it's pointing the, to the wall and that way the light will bounce off the wall and onto your face, creating a, a softened and even light. But yes, for sure, the fluctuating light can mm -hmm. be tricky to navigate at times. Okay, great. Um, and what else about our tech setup? Yeah, backgrounds, uh, very important to get backgrounds right. It's a balance between something that's interesting but not too distracting. Uh, so Ryan, your background, you've obviously got the plain white wall, which uh, is, you know, not obviously distracting. Brings, not distracting, correct, but it right. brings the focus to you. But something you might want to think about is adding something in there that perhaps adds a bit of interest, like you can see the plant in my background, mm. maybe a bookshelf, maybe a non-distracting artwork, because also what the the effect that your current setup has is that you're looking like you're almost getting your passport photo taken rather yeah, than right. on a VC call because you're also mm -hmm. quite up close against that yeah, sure. uh, plain white wall. But on that note, uh, digital backgrounds, some people like them, some people don't. My preference is, in, is that I would rather see a natural back background. Two reasons for that. Firstly, it helps you appear more open and authentic as a mm -hmm. speaker because you're, you're being open and transparent around what's going yeah. on behind you. Mm -hmm. And secondly, digital backgrounds don't always cope well with movement. As we've all discovered, if you make Indeed. an exaggerated hand gesture, you may look like you've lost an arm. So uh -huh. generally, plain, plain, uh, your natural background is mm -hmm. the way to go. Okay. And what's optimum for camera angle? Looking into your camera lens at eye level. So we don't want to see up your nose. We don't want to see the ceiling. We don't want to see down your shirt. We want to be looking at you. We want to be talking to you like we would be talking to you in person. So your camera angle is fantastic. Uh, and if you're like me and you, you work from a laptop, I've actually propped my laptop up on a couple of books mm -hmm. just to bring that eye level up. Mm -hmm. And I find the other one is really important is actually where you locate your video conference software. So, you know, we're currently on the Zoom platform and I always try to position the person that I'm talking to like directly under my camera. So I'm at least most of the time looking like I'm, I'm trying to engage directly with you rather than I see people with, uh, you know, their uh, VC platform on a different screen. So they spend half their time looking across the other way and you kind of lose that, that connection with people, right? Yeah, and of course, if you're, and if you're on the receiving end of that call let's say Ryan you've you've got that double screen set up and you're actually looking away not only does that reduce the connection between us as, as individuals who are communicating with one another but what am I going to think of that I'm going to think oh he's distracted he's not really engaged in what I'm saying 
he's obviously got something else that's more important than than our conversation. So absolutely aligning your screen with the the video thumbnails mm-hmm. on on the same screen or on the same device as yes. the webcam mm-hmm. will enable that kind of seamless more personal communication and connection right okay and one of the differences we see with the normal uh in print in person interaction versus the the vc is that often if we're joining people in a meeting room a physical meeting room we kind of have some of that you know small small talk how's your weekend what's been going on how's your sister what's your daughter doing type type thing what's do you have a a recipe or a guide for when you join a vc meeting do you still try to bring that kind of human element in or or have you noticed that it tends to be a bit more let's get straight on with the the meeting when it's on a virtual video conferencing platform it's an interesting observation and i've found or the feedback i've had from from the people i've talked to about this is that generally speaking vc calls tend to just be a lot more focused than in-person calls. So whether, you know, I can't say why that is, but generally there feels like there's less of a need to have that small talk, that superficial buffer of conversation mm-hmm. at the beginning mm-hmm. of the of the beginning of the call. So no advice there. It's more of a more of an observation. And interestingly, I did notice or read somewhere, I think it was the Harvard Business Review posted some research around that the the average, the, the number of meetings a person attends per day has increased as a result of these technologies. But the length of meetings, the average length of meetings has decreased. So we are on average spending less time in meetings, even though the number of meetings has increased. And I think, let's be honest, I think everyone could do with less meetings in their life. Right. So I, I don't see that as a negative. It's just the nature of the, 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 the these technologies that we're using. Mm. Okay, let's uh, transition to the, I guess, more the public speaking environment. But I think we, there's this interesting crossover happening now where, for example, we uh, were recruiting during lockdown. So we were doing a lot of our candidate interviews over over Zoom. So there's still that, um, how do you manage the, the environment? But I, I'm most interested in the uh, confidence booster. We hear, you know, those uh, stats thrown around that people would uh, prefer to die than do public speaking. Um, which is is uh, you know is is very sad, and I think it's sad because with the uh, with the right training and the right development, of course, you can learn to be a, a confident and comfortable public speaker. Uh, I'm fortunate in my role; I get to do a lot of public speaking. I'm very com- comfortable with it, uh, but equally, I still you know get those little butterflies right before I you know hit hit the stage and, and those kind of things. So um, talk to us about how we build our confidence and move into that zone where for maybe people that are less comfortable doing public speaking, how can they boost their confidence? Sure, absolutely. So we talked about preparation at the beginning of uh, the session together. And my general belief is that there are two approaches to overcoming public speaking anxiety or, or nerves. And again, you've you've mentioned around the the butterflies. There is a healthy amount of nerves that you know it's fine to have a little bit of nerves, have those symptoms. In the case, what I'm referring to now is just around 
that more crippling anxiety when it comes to public speaking. So there are two approaches, I believe, to, to overcome that, those. The first approach is a short-term approach, which is preparation. And the long-term approach is exposure. So just to dwell on preparation a bit, you know, confidence comes from competence and competence comes from being prepared and knowing your stuff. So when you're prepared for a particular presentation, you're basically giving yourself the best chance of delivering a successful presentation. And in doing that, the affirmation you receive as a result of that solid performance, whether that's affirmation through from your colleagues, from the client who, who chose to go with you as, as the uh, provider, or whether it's just internally that you know you, you nailed that, that presentation, that affirmation will give you the confidence to do it again next time. So preparation is, is absolutely, absolutely critical. And just to unpackage that a bit further, some three areas of preparation that I think are particularly important if we're talking about presentations in a work capacity uh, would be preparing questions, the questions you might be asked, rehearsing out loud, and learning ideas, not memorizing word for word. Uh, so if we were just to go back to those preparing questions, people tend to think, oh, you know, I can't prepare for the questions that I might be asked. But actually in reality, you should know your audience really well. You should know who you're talking to because that should have influenced the way you're communicating your message. And if you know your audience well, I bet you can preempt at least 60% of the type of questions you're going to be asked at the end of the presentation because you know that their constraints, you know what their pain points are, you know what their biggest concern is, and that way you can actually prepare those questions. Uh, in terms of rehearsing out loud, you know, for the same reason, a musician doesn't prepare for a gig by going over the piece in his or her head you should be delivering and practicing your presentation out loud as if there really were an audience in front of you to make that uh, environment as realistic as possible. Uh, and just on the last one here, and then you can jump in, Ryan, uh, around learning ideas, not memorizing word for word. So memorizing word for word is challenging because it's time consuming. It's risky because if you lose your place, it's very hard to recover because our memories learn sequentially and you appear quite stiff and inauthentic in your delivery. It's quite mechanical because you're just relaying words. So yes. it's definitely better to learn ideas rather mm -hmm. than uh, memorizing word for word. So those are my three kind of points under preparation, prepare questions, rehearsing out loud and learning ideas. I like that and uh, been fortunate enough to do some speaker training with Matt Church and he uh, reinforces a lot of the concepts you've, you've already talked about, uh, which is, has been great. When you're doing the rehearsing out loud, do you encourage people to try and assemble a friendly audience that, you know, in advance as well, use that as a, so maybe a bit of practice in front of the mirror first and then uh, bring the friendly audience in before you do the, the main stage, if you, if you want to term it that way? Absolutely. If you, if you can, most people do tend to shy away from rehearsing in front of 
other people, which I can understand why, because often we're more concerned about the judgment of the people that know us the most. Uh, so we're, we're more resistant to practice in front of our families and our colleagues because we yeah, really care about what they're going to say. And if they're what they're going to say is going to say, is going to, you know, show that perhaps we're not as good as we need to be, that's going to affect us quite a lot. Uh, but in terms of preparing in front of the mirror, I actually don't do that. And I don't actually recommend that anyone does it either, just because we get fixated around how we're looking, whereas we should be more concerned around our message delivery and, and what we're actually saying. But absolutely, to answer your question, Ryan, preparing, if you can, delivering in front of a practice audience is such a great idea. In fact, I'm working with uh, an organization at the moment who's, you know, it finds themselves in a pitch environment. They're pitching for business. And it came out of the conversation at one stage, you know, and we were going over these similar principles around practicing and rehearsing out loud. And it came out of the conversation that, they don't always rehearse because they're saving their performance for the day. In other words, they think they don't need to rehearse because the, the best performance will be on the day in, in the pitch room. And that's absolutely bollocks. You know, what's the chance that your best performance happens to be the first time you do it in mm -hmm. front of the client? The chances mm -hmm. are, are so small. So you do need to be rehearsing out loud and ideally in front of one another or to a to a practice audience absolutely yeah. i wonder what the feedback from the public would be if some of our uh high level performance sports uh, or arts coaches said actually we've decided not to do training anymore we're just going to turn up on saturday because we're sure that'll be our our best performance i wonder how that'd go down exactly and it's the same principle like like anything as i said before around the musician but same for sportsmen as well you train so you can give your best performance on the day. Mm. It's it's just a natural part of the process. It's absolutely critical. So yeah. I don't know what it is about public speaking or around presentation that people think they don't need to do that. It's, it's, well, I, I suspect it is a sense of being a little bit um, awkward, maybe not super confident in that. So uh, they'd prefer to avoid the uh, zone where they're potentially going to get feedback, where people would, could be giving them, hey, maybe we could do this a bit differently or we could do that a bit differently. Maybe they just like to avoid that kind of feedback loop and, and uh, yeah, just, just jump on in. But as I entirely agree with you, Miriam, yeah, I think uh, some good practice in advance. And I know when I've uh, put in the appropriate amount of preparation before a presentation or before a keynote speech, when I arrive on stage, yeah, I've got a little bit of butterflies, but I feel very confident in what I'm about mm. to do. I'm not scrambling going, oh, what, what's what's in my third section or, or whatever. I'm, I'm kind of very confident. And I find you, I mean, you hear people talk about this flow state where you can jump up on stage and suddenly it almost like the... Uh, some kind of time walk where you just kind of flow and it's, it's coming out and uh, almost that experience where you're disconnected from yourself. You can almost see yourself doing the, doing the presentation. I think that only, that only happens when you've uh, had good preparation and practice under your, under your belt. Absolutely. And yeah. out of interest, Ryan, what, what, what are some examples or tactics that help you prepare for, for a particular keynote or presentation? Yeah. So in, uh, I use a, a framework to map out my keynote. So I kind of am very aware of, of where, where it's going. Uh, like you suggested, rather than memorizing, I tend to have five keywords that talk about the five key sections that I'm going to speak to. I don't then try and memorize word to word, but I'm very aware of kind of the sub points that I'd like to make under each of those keywords. 
uh, I tend to have a, a mantra that gets pushed in through the through the keynote the whole way through to kind of anchor uh, the key point that I'm I'm making on the on the way through. And uh, if I'm not presenting at a, a lectern, which I'd prefer not to, um, just the using the stage is marked out as a T. And so I take each of those uh, five uh, key points that I'm making and kind of deliver each one and each of those from a different uh, part of the, the stage. Um, and it, it just helps again, kind of anchoring the, the point with the physical location and, and gives a bit of the, the break. And we're going to talk a bit about uh, pace and poise, which I guess is both uh, voice delivery and also physical delivery about mm. pace and poise. So uh, yeah, those are some of the things that really, really helped me, which I've, I've learned on the way through. That's interesting and so good to hear that you've you've called it a mantra, but um, I think that translates into what I call a takeaway. Mm-hmm. You know, the what you want the audience to take away from the presentation. We tend to put a lot of em- emphasis on the transmission of information, but so often what's equally important is actually telling the audience what you want them to do with it, that information. So what's the core point or idea that you want them to walk away with and some perhaps it's a to challenge them to change their behavior perhaps it's to action something or perhaps it's as simple as getting them to think about an idea or issue differently Mm. Uh, so it's great to hear that that's is that similar to what you described yeah absolutely and i think it's this understanding that uh the actual audience will remember very little about what you said you know, so if you can repeat and reiterate that key takeaway uh, that you want them to go, it's a good because they're often, uh, you know, you you bump into someone, you know, several months later, and and they'll go, oh, Ryan, I saw you speak here, and, and like, oh, cool, what what um stood out for you? And so often it's actually some kind of version of the the mantra, as I call it, or the takeaway, which is great. But if you ask them to go, hey, can you give me the twenty sub points that I made around that? <laughs> no idea, right? And and it's totally okay because I wouldn't be able to remember remember either. Yeah, that's that's incredibly insightful and something that's been quite uh, interesting from from my standpoint is, you know, eventually getting the feedback that comes back from particular presentations or workshops is often we go in as a speaker with this intention on what we want to convey, like our mantra or takeaway, which should hopefully be in the mix of what the audience does take away. But so often we don't what the other things that they might take away or the primary 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 thing that they might take away would be different for everyone yes so it's it's quite interesting that we 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 tend to make assumptions around what those things uh will be but often there's something that resonates uh different things that resonate with different people Yes. Uh, anyway, that was just an observation. But great yeah. to hear that you're, you're sounding like you're completely on the ball and and on the right track with your preparation. So well done, Ryan. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think one of the other things that uh, really helped me was, uh, again, Matt Church, he said, you've got to get away from this disease to please is mm. a real uh, saying of his, which is this, uh, you know, by uh, most of us really like to be liked. And we like people to go. That was that was really good, but he said actually the the greatest uh, orators of all time, the ones that you most remember, even if you've uh, seen them yourself personally, they tend to be the ones that challenge you in some way as an audience member. They make you think about something a bit a bit differently, and that may not make them like you, 
because you're challenging, it could be their beliefs, it could be their uh, understanding of the way the world works, but they're the, they're the ones you remember those people because they did challenge you. So this uh, yeah, getting away from the disease to please is always one that's kind of ringing in the back of my, my mind when I'm prepping. That's great. I love that. That's, that's a real uh, insight into the truth there. Yeah, or as the other phrase goes, I think I came across this. Um, I love listening to Tim, the Tim Ferriss podcast. Mm -hmm. And I don't know who it was that he interviewed, but the idea that came out of one particular episode was around if you try and be everything for everyone, you're going to do nothing for no one. So if you can seek to connect with even, I think this was more in the context of, of writing, but I think it does translate to when we're presenting as well. If you can try to just really connect with, um, you know, a small group of people then that's going to make a big, big impact. Whereas if you try to, as you say, please everyone, then you're going to be coming across probably quite vanilla. You're not going to have any original ideas uh, and you're not going to create an impact. Mm. Okay. Do you have any uh, favourite orators yourself? People that you've seen speak or people through history that have been uh, of interest to you? Yeah, good question. I've never been one to have one particular role model or, uh, yeah, I guess source of inspiration. I get a lot of fulfillment from seeking out aspects of people's skill sets from, from a variety of, of different people. In terms of communication, I think just to draw upon a more uh, contemporary examples, I think obviously Jacinda is an excellent communicator and we can sure. learn learn a lot from her. Uh, and of course, Obama. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it was, I use his speaking, I've used a couple of his excerpts from his speeches in my workshops just to demonstrate certain, certain principles because he is just, uh, just such a compelling orator. It's, he's, he's a marvel to watch. Mm. Is he pretty good at pace and poise? He sure is. In fact, that was one of his excerpts I use <laughs> to talk about just those those two principles. Yes. Right. Actually, I said poise, didn't I? But you said you said pause. Uh, so I guess uh, we could add it in the three P's because maybe some poise is helpful as well. But you're actually talking about pace and pause. Yes. Um, so do you just give us some more insight into into that, and maybe can you reference uh, uh, Obama and how you've observed him using those two aspects? Yeah, absolutely. So. I would argue, first and foremost, that pause is probably the most powerful vocal technique there is. It adds emphasis to important phrases. It creates tension. And well, of course, I it allows, thank you, <laughs> it allows for, you know, breathing room between ideas as well. But pause does go hand in hand with pace, which is, of course, the speed at the rate at which we are speaking. And you can use a variety of pace to create different effects when you're speaking. For example, slowing down to really let the key message sink in or speeding up to create tension or to be perhaps breeze on over sections that are less important. Yes. Interestingly, most people, and Ryan, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this. Most people speak too fast when talking to a group in a public speaking setting and it's a it's a challenging one and it's not impossible to do you just have to be intentional about it 
But the three benefits of being able to slow down or, or choosing to slow down, firstly, your audience has time to digest what you are saying. Secondly, it gives the impression you're in control and you've yes. got a handle on your nerves. And finally, your thoughts and your words can work together. And that's particularly important in an impromptu speaking yes. setting or when you're speaking without much preparation. If you just choose to slow down, your thoughts will be able to stay one step ahead of your words, which will enable a more uh, clear clarity of thought uh, and clear expression as well. What, what's your what's been your experience with with observing oh, okay, I think on, on uh, like like most people I probably tend towards the talking too quickly uh, particularly on on stage uh, I think if you're uh, not super comfortable with with public speaking you tend to be in the mindset of I can't wait to get this over and therefore you tend to talk quickly to try and uh, get through it uh, quickly. I think if you could change that mindset up to uh, I'm looking forward to conveying my message or you know something of that that nature, then it would probably probably help. But look, totally agree with you, Miriam, all those, all those things uh, you watch. Uh, people with outstanding delivery skills as, as an orator and and they, they even even their delivery is like poetry. <laughs> They may not be delivering poetry, but their delivery is like poetry, and and it and I think it is an art form. And you see people that are very good at it, and I'm 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 mesmerised by their skill and ability to to deliver. And uh, your example of uh, Jacinda Ardern very rarely gets flustered, even in a mm. you know some quite challenging debate environments where it would be really easy to let your emotion run over and uh, you can just see her controlling her her pace very well she has some great pause as well so yeah i think she's also a very good good example yeah i think the overall effect of having a measured pace and i say I'd rather say that use the term measured than slow because slow has negative connotations, but choosing to be uh, measured in the way and the rate at which you're speaking has, as you've, you've touched on, it helps you appear more deliberate in your communication and it helps you appear at ease. And I think yes. that's what's come out of uh, observing speakers like Jacinda and Obama particularly they just seem completely at ease, even in the more stressful situations. Yes. Uh, and just to touch on what you referred to earlier around people who just want the whole experience to be over, so they just race through what they're trying to, to, to say. That's absolutely true, and you do see that in, in more junior speakers. And unfortunately, I've seen it many times before, they end up speaking so quickly that they end up stumbling over themselves. Uh, and which is such a shame because, of course, if they'd only slowed down, their thoughts would have been able to stay one step ahead and they actually would have been fine. Yes. Uh, and to relate back to those, those positive uh, effects of having a measured pace, I, I heard someone deliver a speech at the end of last year and I went up to her afterwards and I said, you were fantastic. I said, your pace was so measured. You came across so confident. I said, well done. And she looked at me so surprised and she said, really? I was a nervous wreck inside. So it just goes to show that as long as you exhibit the signals of a confident speaker, whether you are or not actually makes no difference to your audience. And of course, uh, a particular trait that 
uh, confident speakers have is that measured pace. So you can almost think of it like when you get up there to deliver a speech or presentation, you are becoming, you are stepping into the role of a confident speaker, even if you don't necessarily feel confident. You know, it's the fake it till you make it uh, phrase, uh, which yeah. has a lot of truth in it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I was in a design thinking workshop uh, a wee while ago run by a good uh, friend of ours, Darren Clay. And one of the ways we were trying to tackle a, a problem was he, we said, imagine you are Elon Musk. How would you solve this problem if you were Elon Musk? How would you solve this problem if you were Wonder Woman? How would you solve this problem? And it was amazing just the mindset shift you were able to get when you go, oh, well, I'm clearly this very creative person who knows how to solve things. So now, oh, suddenly I've got all these new ideas coming in. So again, the power of mindset, if you can come to the, wow. the stage or the presentation or the video conferencing platform with the mindset of the, the person you want to be, even if that's, uh, you know, as, uh, your schizophrenic self. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't and I don't use that word lightly, but in the context of bringing another persona to the yeah. uh, to the room to be that presenter, uh, it's exceptionally powerful. That's that's really profound. In fact, that's something I I hadn't necessarily thought in, in such a tangible way as you've described as actually creating a character to step into that's that's really insightful Ryan and actually reminds mm. me of one of the techniques I have to help people manage their nerves is around a mental framework so if you unpackage the fear of public speaking we tend to there, there tends to be a root cause below the fear and it tends to be around a what if question like what if they don't like me what if I say the wrong thing? What if, uh, you know, I forget my lines? What if they judge me? Whatever it might be. And when you realize what that symptom behind the fear is, you can then seek to abolish it by swapping it out with something that's actually truthful. Because, of course, no one's going to think negatively of you. All these what-if questions are actually fears that have happened haven't happened yet they're fears of the unknown and they're actually irrational yes so if you can not seek to suppress them which only doesn't really do much at all but actually seek to replace them with something truthful then that's where transformation can actually take place and just to give you an example of what that might look like for me when i was starting out i was like many people concerned around audience perceptions Yes. What if they don't like me? What if I make a fool of myself? And my mental framework came at a, out of the realization that my audience doesn't care about me as much as I would like to think. <laughs> so so sorry true. if that's news to anyone out there, but yeah. you know, we tend to flatter ourselves. We get overly concerned about our own being. But when you realize that that's actually you know you're you're flattering yourself a, a little too much that actually it's about the message it's not about you that a, a shift takes place and you start to focus on the value you're giving the insight you're seeking to share as the speaker rather than your own uh, anxieties and and shortcomings as as an individual and that that for me personally became my mental framework is uh, yeah, don't flatter yourself. Your audience doesn't care about you as much as you would like to think. And over time, whenever I found myself in those situations where I might be speaking in front of a group, I said that over in my head, over and over, until eventually that fear that I had initially just 
dissipated. It no, it no longer had any, anything to stand on because I now had this new reality that was truthful and more rational than the initial fear. So that, that's something that I try and help people with is actually getting to the core of what, what is the fear behind the fear and then seeking to replace it with something that's actually truthful. Yeah, great guidance, great guidance. Tell me, what's who's a person or an organisation that you're most proud of in the way that you've been able to help them? Hmm, that's a good question. It's it's an interesting thing because there's no quick fix when it comes to public speaking, uh, but I think I get most satisf- most satisfaction with seeing someone who, uh, and I'd rather not you know specify names, sure. but seeing someone who has come from a, a really anxious state to actually thriving on the stage and really being proud of what they've been able to deliver. Uh, and I think that looks different for every for every person, that idea of success. And generally I say that the, and based on what I've observed in others and the feedback that I've had, the techniques I do teach generally see a 20 to 60% increase in effectiveness, but obviously effectiveness is measured differently to different people. So for one person, it might just be an increase in confidence to get up there and actually be able to express themselves in a competent way. For other people, it might be being able to create engaging pitches. So they are actually securing that new client who's bringing in income Mm -hmm. for the business. Mm -hmm. So, it's different for every client, and I, I do tend to work with a range of individuals, be it corporate groups or one-on-one clients. Right. Uh, but I think probably what's most fulfilling for me is that transformation of, of someone who's gone from that nervous state, who's overly concerned with, I guess you could say that's a similar journey to what I went through, overly concerned in audience perceptions to actually having a bit of a breakthrough and realising that they can do that. Uh, it may not happen overnight, but they over time they will get more competent and confident as they continue to put themselves in these situations. Absolutely. I'm interested to learn a bit more about Naked Audience, your coaching business. So uh, I guess I have to ask, how did the name come about? Well, do you get the reference of the name? I do get I do get the reference, and I, I'm slightly intrigued because I have heard uh, <laughs> people say that is seriously the worst advice you could ever give someone as a public speaker is to picture people in the front row as naked. You're so right, and it's actually not something that I ever advise anyone uh, does. But I admit I, I came up with the name on on a whim, and it's just stuck. And I've received so much positive feedback from it because it is fun, and it's a little bit. Uh, I think it resonates well with with the Kiwi sense of humour. But no, it's not something that I actually advise people do. But it was funny because when I was coming up with the idea, some people don't understand the reference, uh, the visualise your audience naked. And I remember going to my mum and saying, hey, mum, you know, I've come up with this idea, this name for my business, Naked Audience. She said, Naked Audience? She said, "Why why don't you call it Naked Orator? He said, Mom, it's not about me being naked. And she said, well, maybe it should be. It'd be good for business. I said, what kind of business do you think I'm running here? Uh, But no, so, yeah, yeah. So she's she's a bit of a hoot. But um, so naked audience stuck, yeah. Very, very good. And tell us, people that are listening to the uh, podcast and they're going, I'm definitely one of these people that could do with some some help. In what ways can you help individuals or organisations, Mary? Yeah, sure. So, so as you uh, well articulated, it is a public speaking and presentation coaching consultancy. 
So the main offerings that I have are around one-on-one coaching. So obviously those sessions are personalized to the needs of the particular individual I'm working with, be it a form of professional development, so ongoing training, or it could be centered around a particular project presentation or keynote that that individual might be, be getting ready to present. Secondly, you've got the more group group workshops, which are which might involve me to delivering delivering to many. So I'm I'm doing one of those on Thursday, delivering to a large group of people. Uh, so that's more of a lecture style general mm-hmm. workshop, mm-hmm. generally covering off the foundation el- foundational elements of public speaking. So it's great for groups or associations that are keen to get an external educator in and and sure. share some insights into. A particular specialty uh, and the other one which is probably uh, similar to well a- as common or as popular as the one-on-one coaching is the the team training so going into an organization and helping their a particular team improve their skills whether it's specifically around pitching whether it's around general presentation skills and confidence whether it's around uh, it might be around presentation structure and the content side of things how do you know how do we craft an effective presentation so those uh whatever that might be around will depend on the needs of the particular organization there's never a, there's never a one size fits all sure um, but those are kind of my my okay. three key offerings oh and then parallel to that of course is the the workshop in online vc communication okay and where's the uh, best place for people to find you and connect with you Probably uh, LinkedIn. Otherwise, my my email, which I'm sure you can, um, if you want to add it to the to the show mm-hmm. notes, Ryan. Uh, but yeah, email or LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn, providing a lot of free value for free content and, and value up front. So if you did give me a follow, I'm sure you'd, uh, you know, get, glean some of the the sure. techniques that I share off that. Fantastic. I absolutely encourage the audience to come and connect with Miriam on, on LinkedIn, show some appreciation for the podcast and Miriam, your willingness to join us and share mm. your insights. We really appreciate it. And we'll make sure we put your uh, LinkedIn URL in the in the show notes. Awesome. Any closing thoughts you'd like to leave with the uh, audience today, Miriam? Oh, the only thing I would say would be never let a negative experience in in public speaking put you off from from doing it again you know yes be your own critic but be your best friend as well so if something if you had a negative experience identify and articulate and write down what didn't go well and then move on because that's that's the only way you're going to improve is if you actually take a lesson from a negative experience and apply it to to future experiences That is outstanding guidance and fantastic uh, closing words. Miriam, thanks again for joining us today and thanks for all your insights you've shared. We really appreciate it. My pleasure, Ryan. Bye-bye. Bye.